Hey guys, welcome back to Voltec Tech Talk. Um, I am joined here by my co-host John Hewson. Um, how are you doing, John? Very well, thanks. Today, Shabazz, how are you doing? Good, good, good. I'm super excited to get into this topic today. I mean, it's definitely not something you see in the news very often, but the further you get into it, you know, it's actually quite significant. Have you heard much about Alibaba? Not personally, but I'd like to think that it's because Western media is less inclined to report on, you know, a Chinese e-commerce giant, but very interesting, everything that they're developing right now. And I'm keen to get into this one. Yeah, it's so fascinating. So I don't know if the audience is familiar. But whenever I think of Alibaba, it's usually those guys like they're used quite often in drop shipping situations. So the whole idea is that you buy, um, you start your own online store and you buy a bunch of stock from Alibaba or you, um, yeah, basically maybe not drop shipping, but like buying stuff very, very cheap from a Chinese wholesale site. Um, and then you start your own store, you rebrand it a little and you resell it with high margins. And that's kind of what Alibaba has been known for quite a while for quite a few people in this like resale space. So um, when I saw when I saw them come in over here with um, solving supply side issues using AI algorithms and data analysis, like it's a bit off field, you know, because you think, okay, this they're basically like the eBay right of China. So when you see the bulk buy eBay of China is doing something so significant, you're like. It kind of makes sense because that's their domain and they obviously have the money to do it. But you would never think in a thousand years, like if you were to ask anyone which company would be the first to do this kind of stuff, the last people we'd think of is Alibaba. Maybe that's because we're in the Western world, right? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to be a little bit blindsided by, you know, seeing them jump headfirst into these sorts of, you know, AI governed fields. But I think it's good to understand to quote a Harvard Business Review article, Alibaba is today not only an online online commerce company, it is what you get when you take all functions associated with retail and coordinate them into an online sprawling data-driven network of sellers, marketers, logistics companies, and manufacturers. So in other words, Alibaba does what Amazon, eBay, PayPal, Google, and FedEx, as well as wholesalers and a good portion of manufacturers do in the United States with the healthy helping of financial services for Garnish. So Alibaba has their own, I think it's like Alipay or something, um, their own payment mechanism. And Alibaba is one of very few online marketplaces to offer B2B B2C and C2C being like business to business or business to customers and customer to customer or consumer, sorry. That's almost like um, Amazon, but with a business to business twist to it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So they've got their fingers in all sorts of pies and of the world's 10 most highly valued companies today, seven are internet companies with business models similar to that of Alibaba. Five of them, Amazon, Google, Facebook in the United States and Alibaba and Tencent in China have been around barely 20 years. In the Harvard Business Review article, they're basically questioning how is so much value and market power emerged so quickly because of new capabilities and network coordination and data intelligence that all these companies put to use. The ecosystems they steward are vastly more economically efficient and customer centric than traditional industries. These firms follow an approach I call smart business, and I believe it represents the dominant business logic of the future. So what we can take away from this is that, you know, with their enormous economies of scale and data collection potential, this allows them to really shave off costs wherever possible. And we'll get into this in a second, like their smart supply chain management and how they're using machine learning, clever learning algorithms in order to really cut costs and in fact provide things like precise sale forecasts so that they can make sure they're never having backlogs of items clogging up warehouses and just keep everything running seamlessly. That is really interesting, isn't it? Just thinking about it, like the fact that they can harness this technology because I for one think that artificial intelligence is great with object recognition, character recognition, it's like 
that's where I see its speciality. But then when I think about other use cases, it's almost like it's experimental. It's almost like they're just trying to show off, hey, we've got AI in this product. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't do much. Um, maybe that's just me being a bit sour. Maybe it's just me being a bit, um, I don't know, burnt by all of the buzzwords that are thrown out in the thrown around in the tech industry. Like everyone and their mother has a pro has a product with AI in it that somehow makes it better than the rest. You know, yeah, um, AI leveraged solutions. Buzzword exactly. Of the decade. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, just seeing artificial intelligence used in such a different context. There's just something about that, you know, and seeing that it's actually helping them grow their business to, or at least give them an advantage to some extent. You're actually using artificial intelligence in a very interesting way. Like the last place I'd think of using artificial intelligence is smart supply chains. But maybe that's because I'm not a business guy. Who knows? Perhaps, yeah. One one can imagine, I mean, the stakes are pretty high with regards to supply and chain management specifically, like as a as one sector of their entire business model, because they are responsible for a huge number of deliveries and orders made in China. We'll have to get the figure up at some point. But so it's been estimated that Kenyao, which is the name of the... Um, logistics arm of the Alibaba group. Yeah. They are estimated to be saving 260 million hours a day in delivery time with their current level of optimizations. <laughs> and they've foregone a lot of their previous delivery partnerships as yeah, as a consequence strictly of their optimization of these supply chains. And so that boasts things like alongside improving customer service and connectivity they have an on-time delivery rate of 98 percent Ooh, wow and they employ internet of things to do this particularly in the field of developing more rural areas of mainland china and one example they quote of iot having allowed for those living in rural areas to have the great like significantly increased connectivity is delivery lockers that securely open and close in order to store and release delivered packages. Yeah, and that's pretty crazy. Like, think about it. If you're a seller, right, and you have the choice between um, three different marketplaces, and you have one marketplace where, like, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in the situation where you're going to, let's say, buy something, and you're very keen for it to come soon? And you're kind of weighing up whether you want to go with um, an online delivery, which would probably be quite a bit cheaper, or just go to the store and get it, right? So these, as a consumer, you want the fastest thing. You want your product yesterday, right? That's what they say. Mm -hmm. So um, let's say you're a supplier, right? And you're trying to figure out who to go with. I mean, I think this might have something to do with their market dominance. Imagine if you can assure your suppliers that one, consumers are going to choose this platform because we have insanely fast delivery rates with extreme accuracy, like 98% on-time delivery. I don't know how that is for the delivery industry, but that sounds really good. It makes me think that maybe one of the reasons they have gotten so big is because of this logistics, um, this infrastructure as a service platform. And do you know if like, you said that you have business to business, consumer to consumer, consumer to business. Do you know that if all of those segments have access to these, I guess, routing algorithms or delivery times, or is it just... Or whether any of the interactions that are made in the Alibaba marketplace get to use, get to leverage, I guess, that yeah. supply chain, chain optimization. Um, I would assume so. I don't know why they would um, you know, differentiate between the three types of peer-to-peer -peer interactions. I think that would be odd, but perhaps they do. Um, no, probably they don't. But that's that's what I'm saying, right? That must be their massive value add. Yeah, I think, you know, I could also ponder on, you know, whether their logistics have enabled them to get so big. Is it the other way around? Is it a chicken and egg sort of situation? Because oh. Alibaba have been around for a while already. And I think we're seeing a similar degree of like Amazon and eBay taking a little foray into these areas as well with you know, Amazon is pretty much, we've gone over in a previous episode, wherein they're automating away their entire warehouses and cutting a lot of 
jobs to do with supply chain management. And so we can probably see a lot of parallels there, but again, perhaps it is their size that has allowed them to really delve deep into this logistics management. But I imagine it's more of a positive feedback loop. Hence the economy of scale, right? Yeah, there must be a feedback loop. And I think, yeah, you're right. Amazon has been doing these things. I mean, I think there's a way, there's apparently a lot goes behind getting next day delivery with Amazon. Like I was watching a documentary on this earlier and it's actually insane how hard the workers work to get that thing on your doorstep tomorrow. But I don't think that's offered in Australia, is it? It's more of a, it's more of an American thing. Yeah, I don't think so. But yeah, on a, I guess, similar note to that idea, perhaps Alibaba has the capacity to function at such a higher, you know, degree in a country of, you know, nearing 2 billion people just because of the density of the place. So you can assume that for any given delivery route and all of the items you can fit in a van, the maximum distance you would be expected to travel, like if you've optimized the, the route anyway, would be far, you know, it'd be a far lesser distance than it would be in say Australia, for example, which is much more sparsely populated and it would be just objectively much trickier to get those who live in more rural areas to feel more connected, I guess, or to, you know, reap similar rewards that, as we said, those in rural villages in China now get to experience with these drop-off lockers. And even like rural villages in China, right? Like what is, what's the population density there? You're right. Like what is rural? You know, it's so relative. Like I know that like in Australia, for instance, let's have a look at this. So in Australia, yeah, well, there are major cities all over the place in China. Exactly. So you'd probably have a lesser, like, transport to your rural area because you've got these hotspots. On top of that, rural areas probably aren't even that rural. But um, I wouldn't be able to comment on the level of technological adoption in the rest of China, though. Just maybe that's a bit out of our depth. But, yeah, it's truly fascinating. Definitely is. Yeah, so to do with the smart supply chain management how they operate that is by minimizing inventory, increasing efficiency by providing precise sale forecasts, smart order allocation to a suitable vehicle, as well as prevention of invalid orders. And so to quote Kainyao's website, again, the logistics arm of Alibaba Group, they ensure that things get from A to B, which is more complicated than it may seem, particularly in the world's most populous country, and it relies on its infrastructure as a service, or IaaS, platform and interoperates with the Alibaba cloud in order to achieve ideal targets. So this logistics arm operates specifically with Alibaba's cloud uh, presumptively, you know, with their big data collection algorithms and allowing that to, you know, project sales forecasts to a fairly high degree of precision, which would give them a very competitive edge with regards to making sure that they can get goods to customers at any given time. Like one, I think the craziest example of their use of IoT is like internet of things, sorry, um, is maintaining awareness of local temperatures, which is of high importance for perishable goods. So consider the fact that the Kanyao cloud would make considerations of local temperatures for food delivery and as such may give heightened priority to those who order such items with optimizations such as these again quoting it has been estimated that it's that the the logistics arm saves 260 million hours a day have to bring that figure back because it's insane that's a lot of human hours that is so many hours imagine the money they're saving and this is where you go to show like i don't know if this is my a computer scientist within me talking, but wow, writing a good algorithm can save a business so much money and time. It instantly bolts its reputation. If you have 18 players on your team and they're writing you algorithms that can save you 260 million hours a day, I mean, the competition's a joke at that point. Right? Exactly. Again, like these huge e-commerce giants I can't see any ways in which 
their crown can be toppled in the immediate future whatsoever. Like they have such a competitive edge. How can anyone start? And to maybe compete? that's an issue. Yeah, and that's an issue. Like, is this and now you go back to the whole economics thing? Do we have a monopoly on our hands? Is it is it good that we have a monopoly on our hands? Does this give them too much power? And if you were to say, okay, if you were to have some form of government intervention to break this monopoly up, what do you do? Do you say make your algorithms open source? Probably not. Do you say split your business? Well, that doesn't make sense either because they'll still have the competitive edge. Is this just something that you can't outcompete? As in, if you split the business, they would all have their own respective competitive edges. But if they were forced to then compete with one another, that would just be adding inefficiency to the system wouldn't it so like oh that's the argument right that's what they want you to know that's 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 their argument yeah well i think at this point there will come an asymptote at which they have you know found the most efficient way to address every supply side production side issue to do with being an online delivery giant such as ebay amazon or alibaba but that's the, I guess, the cost of progress, you know, getting to this point at which you don't actually need human hours anymore, but eventually they will be wielding too much power and smaller businesses cannot compete. And there's no easy solution. Yeah, like imagine when they, yeah, there really isn't. And your conventional, like, economic policy of government intervention probably wouldn't do too well. I mean, look at America. Law is barely catching up with antitrust. What do you say to this? You know, I feel like no one's equipped to deal with this and maybe there's a conversation to be had there, you know, and especially if you're saving that many human hours, right? And let's say you make a few innovations. Let's say Amazon has their delivery bots coming out, right? Um, I think these guys also say that they'll have um, delivery bots that are used on multiple closed networks, right? Um, Let's say you've got those, right? Then a delivery for alibaba could literally cost a few cents but for their competitors it costs you like maybe 10 10 15 bucks right just those those numbers are completely uh completely out of thin air but just assume that it's it would be a very significant fraction of what it would cost an actual human to do the job and then you've got real problems because not just do you have to somehow compete with their low margins that they're able to achieve with scale but furthermore you have to somehow compete with their instantaneous drone delivery like what's the solution there like is there a solution i don't know like amazon's doing those rover things isn't that have you seen those rovers so you basically got this big container or this big van really And then this van actually has little robots inside it, which all disperse out of the van, go deliver the packages to the neighborhood, all come back into the van, and then they go to the next neighborhood. Are they drones? Or are they on wheels? No, they don't. So Amazon Rover. Let me have a look. Uh, Let me have a look. Let me see if I can find it. It's Scout. They call them the Amazon Scout, and that's also using artificial intelligence. Okay. I had no clue that Um, they were getting that advanced. Oh, they're pretty bulky things. That's cool. Yeah, it's they are. Well, you kind of need to fit quite a few different packages in there, right? They look very cool. They actually look like they yeah, moon rovers, the Mars rover. Exactly. So, how do you compete with that? What if they can get these things down so so cheap? Like, what startups going to be like? Yes, we're gonna have to compete with a company that makes rovers. They have a massive set of IoT devices. They can deliver within a like half a day and they're so big that their margins are non-existent yeah i feel like we don't have to make room so that startups can compete with them but we have to address the primary issue that you know you can only get so good but maybe there's some discussion that needs to be had about whether this ought to continue being a private business who knows Maybe. That's that's another way to come about it. Should we make this government-based? But then, is that really fair? How many billions do you think they spent on this research and development to get to this stage? Well, I think you'd buy them out, like, at a at market value. <laughs> do you Because like, th- it's only going to continuously go up. <laughs> what do you think the market value for something like this would be? <laughs> Astronomical. <but> right? <laughs> Can a government afford it? Probably not. But, yeah, I, I assume that the only, you know, without gov- with government acquisition aside, the best means would probably just you know be intense legislature that prevents them from 
really, you know, tucking into their monopoly on the market. No, the fact that no one can compete with them, just got to avoid any, you know, malicious intent, which is seemingly, hopefully the case thus far, but yeah. I, I <laughs> Playing devil's advocate, what's the harm, right? Like, what's the harm? It's one company, yeah? It's It's one company. I mean, is it, are there really like, is it really the end of the world? What are they going to do? Hike the prices up? I mean, so what? Let's say they, it's not, a, it's like they don't have something that no one else can get, right? Like, let's say they did hike the prices up, right? Because that's the whole fear about a monopoly. You make everyone else go out of business because um, you have this insane competitive edge. And then it's just you dictating the price. But surely if it gets too unwieldy, people would just go, oh, wait, I can just open a store and be cheaper than this rover delivery service. And people would probably would not mind waiting an extra day. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's not an issue here. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, with conscious capitalism, a lot of people like intentionally do not order off Amazon these days. Are you one of them? Um. <laughs> I have done, although I do avoid it wherever possible. So I haven't ordered off Amazon for quite a while. Um, Just, you know, I guess due to allegations of workers' rights abuses and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. When was the last time I got something from Amazon? Yeah. Interesting questions. I have no idea. I think I got like a robot from Amazon recently, ironically enough. (laughs) (laughs) But delivered in the robot. Yeah, I tried to to find other places, but... You know, sometimes Amazon's the only place that has your stuff, man. And if that's the case, like, what do you do? Maybe that's... Well, I've noticed that really is the case. They have a great array of quality products on there that I cannot find on eBay or comparable e-commerce stores in Australia, at least. Or even in-store. And you go inside and they're like, yeah, sorry, we don't have stock for this for another four weeks. You're like, what? And Amazon seemingly got everything in stock permanently. (laughs) but I feel like I can't buy it. <laughs> oh gosh, what what a day. I mean, like, wow. Absolutely, yeah. What a time to be alive, right? So I guess let's get to the- Cool. Anyway, back to Alibaba. Yes. <laughs> to the meat and potatoes of this podcast, the reason that we chose to speak about Alibaba today was their announcement of, I don't want to butcher the pronunciation, but I'll just say it, Wu Ying Cloud Computer. And apparently that means um, shadowless or does not cast a shadow. So, to quote, um, I've only got his surname, Zhang, some, I think, marketing director or something for Alibaba. But unlike personal computers, cloud computers allow you to run your workloads on the cloud. Through cloud computing, this device can deliver an infinite amount of computing power. And despite being the size of a smartphone, Zhang said Wuying isn't just for personal use at home, but that it can also be used as a complete computer replacement across government and private enterprise. And so to use it, all you have to do is connect it to a screen, and then you can use it to do anything that you would use a PC to do. And it transcends the capabilities of PCs. You can use it to perform complex computing tasks and run workloads that have special requirements or even render a high definition video that may require the use of multiple PCs. So one benchmark I found in an article, which I've lost since, but it made a comparison running a, a graphics rendering benchmark on a desktop and then doing it on the Wuying cloud computer. And it did it 10 times as quickly. And I think this also highlights a, an ongoing trend of turning everything into a sort of a cloud service or computing as a service, you know, um, to those who are maybe not aware, I think Microsoft offers a similar thing with um, their Xbox games. You can play from the Xbox cloud and Google Arcadia. I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stadia, I think. Stadia? Well, Stadia, yep. Well corrected. Stadia's right. But I don't think that really caught on. It's so fascinating because, um, no, and then you've had like, um, you've had PS Now for a while, I think. PS Now is PlayStation's hack at it um which seems interesting and like when i hear about this right like just a bit of personal context um in my day-to-day i'm a software engineer right so a lot of the time we're working in organizations where a lot of the stuff is tied to their internal infrastructure so there's usually a lot of firewalls in place so you kind of need to get into their system somehow without actually going through their systems 
I, I know that may sound a bit convoluted, but the way we actually get past their firewall things is we use this thing called a remote desktop. So it means I have a little program on my computer where I can put in like a website name, which is basically the name of their computer. And I just put in my username and password like you would on any uh, consumer computer. Next thing you know, you've got like a full Windows, Apple, Linux computer in front of you that is technically not your computer. It's some computer somewhere on some server in America and in, on their own premises, for instance. And you just use it as if it was a computer that is right in front of you. But it's kind of like your computer kind of has like a portal to another computer. So when I see this, it's like, it's really cool. But I mean, calling it massive innovation, don't get me wrong. I've been trying to look into this and I haven't really seen too many technical details about how it's wrong, run. But I think the really innovative part about this is not the fact that they can do it, but it's the fact that they're making this a consumer device. Do you know what I mean? It's the whole idea that they can make it accessible to everyone. That, that's, that's the fascinating part. So what I'm saying is like, you mentioned Google Stadia. You, I don't know if you've actually tried these streaming services. I actually, um, I tried to stream my PS4, right? From my, um, from my, just on my own home network. I've got a pretty decent router. Um, it's like this um, fancy gaming one. It was ludicrously overpriced. It kind of looks like a spider when you look at it upside down. You're like, oh my gosh, is that thing going to kill me? Um, so I've got the spider, right? And you're, th- yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you kind of go and I, I tried to stream a PS4 game off it. I cracked my, I put on my PS4. I threw it into the Ethernet jack. I mean, the Ethernet port, because that's supposed to be the fastest way to get internet, right? Then I walked around the house with a pretty new phone, right? So it was a, it was a pretty good piece of tech. Um, and I tried to get it to stream and the frame rate would be choppy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is one of the worst experiences I've had. The input lag was insane. Even next to the router, you'd get like, um, it's streaming, right? It's still so primitive. And then I had to go with my big computer. I thought, okay, let's try get this working. But then I tried to stream it to an iPad. So I tried to have this exact setup on my own network, which should technically be almost perfect, as good as you can get with a network. And I was still failing to get good quality streams. And then I tried to watch a video on it, you know, and that was like almost impossible. So what I'm trying to say is, like, it's a really cool idea and concept. But unless you have some... But surprisingly bad in practice. Exactly, exactly. And unless you have some really, really, really bad... um, I mean, some out of this world. Like, I don't know if you know this, but, like, Samsung's already looking into 6G, which is ludicrous. Like, you should have a look at that stuff, man. There, um, I know 5G is still really new, but 6G is where it's at. You've got this massive amount of like internet downloads they're 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 planning to release it in 2030 oh man okay yeah it says it will likely be significantly faster at speeds of 95 gigabits per second so you divide that by eight to get gigabytes so what that's like yeah 12 15 gigabytes per second that's crazy exactly exactly and that's where we're going with this you see so like when that comes around, I think this Wuyung Cloud Computer, Wuyung, sorry, I'm so, so bad at pronouncing this. Um, don't mean any offense. But this cloud computer is so cool, but I just don't think it's there yet. It's a bit too early, you know? It's still cooking, and it's not the it's not the device. It's just the concept, you know? So even 5G might be able to do this. Um, I, I mean, I was using 5G the other day, right? And I was getting download speeds of 270 megabits per second on um, a cell tower. I was like, cool, that's cool. And I know there are two types of 5G. You've got millimeter wave, and then you've got um, the other type. So basically, it's not all the same, right? But what I'm saying is we're still not there yet, even with today's cutting-edge technology. But maybe China's different. Maybe you can't generalize. Maybe, maybe Australia is just a world behind. I don't know. Yeah, I'll concede that. You know, it definitely sounds like your streaming experiences with PlayStation and film viewing on the platforms have not been up to scratch yet, but perhaps because those sorts of services require absolute minimum latency, whereas you could perhaps perform computing tasks wherein latency is not an issue. So video rendering, for instance, I don't know, when I first learnt of this, we, yeah, again, sorry for the pronunciation, we're butchering it. Um, 
seems very consumer friendly in that it allows people who traditionally may not have had access to more powerful computers or there's the threat the barrier to entry in that you know every few years your components will become dated and will need replacement this is a very cheap device and they're going to have a subscription model for it and i think there may be a plethora hopefully there's a plethora of use cases that make this a genuinely useful product I think with these other, you know, items as a service models. So we got, we were just discussing gaming, streaming gaming, but you know, many years ago, Spotify did not exist. And so people used to have physical copies or sometimes digital copies of their music, you know, as a transition there, but music as a service, I think was relatively quickly adopted in contrast to this, because as you've said, I don't think we have the data transfer capacity yet to really allow for optimized game streaming. But for music, we've been at that threshold for a while. So this cloud computing service, Wuying um, Cloud Computer, it's really fascinating because I feel like it's a bit ahead of its time. Now, I was talking about how game streaming and video streaming are absolutely abysmal with our current solutions, at least what's on the market right now. Um, but I'd like to add on to that and say, we still do use these systems for work. So if you're actually trying to get work done and maybe code a little, then yeah, this should be more than fine. Like, or write up some word documents Then maybe that's the majority of people not coding or maybe, um, send a few emails. This should be 10 out of 10. It should work really well. Uh, assuming the network connection is as good as ours is here, right? Um, but when it comes to actually making it your main computer, if you have desires to listen to some lossless, well, not even like listen to some music, watch some videos, that's where I think the real barrier is. But who knows? Maybe, maybe they've written up some algorithms to minimize data transfer. Maybe they're using artificial intelligence. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself but laugh every time I think of artificial intelligence solving the problem. But yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're using some form of artificial intelligence to make this better. But like you see these companies with these massive promises like Google Stadia, as you mentioned before, John, they said they'd changed the world. They said they'd found a way to have, I think they had negative latency. They said it will be faster than an actual console in front of you. And we'd be like, what? Surely impossible. How can they <laughs> How do are that? you pulling this Cause... off? <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. And you're like, you just laugh and then you realize that it was probably the business guy saying, Hey, developer guy, is this possible? And the developer guy was like, yes. And then the business guy was like, okay, when can we get it? Developer guy hesitantly says, uh, we're still 20 years off. Give me, give me a year. <laughs> business guy comes back in 11 months. Are we there yet? No, not yet. Can we make it in a month? Your job's on the line, mate. Make it in a month. Like, sometimes I think that's legitimately what's happening behind closed doors because Stadia was so horrific for, for people with non, with, with like a terrible connections. It was actually hilariously bad. So um, you, you start going, why did they promise so much, you know? And I'm just scared that this is going to be another instance of that. Yeah. But I'd be so glad if they prove me wrong, you know? I really want them to prove me wrong because if they can, oh my gosh. What a time, eh? Mm. Well, the way I see it, yeah, we've got this sort of hierarchy of the order in which we're going to accept certain services as, you know, streamable. So, you know, we have text at the bottom, which a while ago became fine, but Spotify, the example of music, uh, much less data needs to be transferred. And I guess Spotify probably came out after YouTube, huh? So, um, but... I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But regardless... Yeah, actually, probably did. Yeah. YouTube very comfortably has been streaming in 4K for a number of years at this point, among many other video streaming platforms. And so it looks to me like gaming might be the next frontier and then potentially beyond that video rendering. So I assume if, you know, the Alibaba cloud computing service is being touted as something for which people can you know, perform complex, complex CPU intensive graphics rendering, GPU intensive, sorry, um, issues, then surely it's, it will, 
you know, at some time soon be up to scratch with regards to gaming as well. But maybe again, it, the latency is the issue at hand. Hard to say. It was a very new announcement for this product. And this whole lifestyle is insane, isn't it? Like, think about it. What do you own? Like, when you... Exactly. That was what my biggest gripe is with regards to transitioning to Spotify. I liked having my huge libraries of music and videos or TV series or whatever. But now here we are. You don't own anything. You don't own anything. It's like... I remember having those CDs. I remember even buying video games and being like, hey, at least I've got a case to show with it for it when I was a kid, right? Exactly. And now you're buying things and you're like, I just spent like a hundred bucks on like some cloud thing. And I'm like, huh, what did I get again? <laughs> yeah, you got nothing to your name as a result of it, but you have the capacity to- Utilize their I services. Mean, to use a ton of services. But again, yeah, it's pretty dissatisfying to know that none of it is really yours. Exactly. Like I went ahead and I bought a camera today, right? And I now I have a camera in my hands and I'm like, I have something, you know? But imagine just going, like, I don't know. I know it's so normal. I think we've come to accept it. But when you come back to the very fundamentals of purchasing an item- it's just mind-boggling that the computer you buy could be tied to a subscription model. Everyone's going subscription, and it makes sense. Like, if you're a business, would you rather have quite a bit of money at the start and then nothing from your consumer for three years? Or would you have your consumer paying for a year that same amount of money to like get to the point of the initial purchase, and then you have recurring revenue for the rest of the consumer's, I guess, time using the product as long as you're delivering. Like it's a no-brainer. Subscription's the way to go. But oof, it's pretty anti-consumer, man. Like I can see that in a few ways, but in other ways it's also somewhat pro-consumer. I guess it varies between you know business to business, but to take a more physical example. In Canberra, in the past week, a lot of these ride-sharing scooters had been popping up. Oh, I've seen I those everywhere. Yeah, they're pretty fun, but they have subscription models, and the the highest tier one that gives you you know the greatest duration, yeah, comes to three dollars a day. But on every each day, you get ninety minutes of scooter time. But if you don't go by that payment plan, I went like fifteen minutes and paid seven bucks. Yeah, no, I went ahead and bought, bought my own scooter outright because. I, I like they recently passed this legislation in Canberra. Sorry for going too off topic here, but they recently passed the legislation allowing scooters because I came back from America last year and I was like, oh, my gosh, these guys are onto something with these scooters. So I was so close to getting one. And then it was like it's illegal in Canberra. You can get fined an insane amount. And I was like, what? That's insane. So I think it was November last year. They passed this law that let scooters come in and I I didn't even know that they do ride sharing, but it makes, I don't know, for me, it made a lot more sense just buying my own scooter um, and then just using it for the next few years, you know? Do you think you're going for the subscription model? Oh, certainly not. No, Um, (laughs) it's pretty expensive. And I don't like having the, you know, the looming pain of, you know, the fallacy of sunk cost looming over my head so that I feel like, oh, I'm paying $3 a day. I'd better be using these scooters to get around everywhere. Although they're very fun, I would prefer to have my own. It kind of pays itself off after like, I think it's like eight or nine months of having that premium subscription thing. So obviously, if you're paying for the less cost efficient means as well, it would pay itself off much more quickly. Yeah, but the question is, will you use it for nine months? That's been my problem because when it's really cold outside and it's raining, because recently it's been really cold and raining. One, apparently it's bad for the scooter because they're not technically waterproof. And Two, um, yeah, at least when you damage a scooter, it's like the company's scooter, you know? Not saying that you damage a scooter, John. I, I believe in you. I, th- I, think, I think you treat your scooters with care, you know? But I ride responsibly. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but just saying, you know, myself, I'd just be a bit worried, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I bought one like a few months ago and it's still in the garage. I rode it twice, but it's been really, really bad weather. Maybe in the summer, eh? Yeah. Well, again, the double-edged sword of subscription services. You don't have, you don't own it. But again, with that, you're removing all culpability and you don't have any responsibility for this. You know, in the case of these physical items, you don't, there's not really an issue of responsibility for these, for digitized assets like music, video streaming, or in the case of this computer we're talking about, whatever PC you're using on the opposite end, the cloud computing service. 
Yeah, wow, we're talking about cloud computing, eh? <laughs> what a turn. <laughs> yeah, just to loop back. <laughs> what a turn. Oh my gosh, okay. So, cloud computing, where were we? So yes, it's insane. It's like, I know we use the term insane a lot here, but this is actually crazy. Having these cloud computers being used by your average person. Like I used to talk to an engineer back where I used to work and I was like, oh, which computer do you have from home? And he was like, you know what? I'm actually going to start using my Amazon Web Services cloud computer as my main home computer. And I was like, what? That's insane. And they're like, no, you don't have to manage it. You don't have to carry it around. It's like the dream, you know? They're a convert. I know. And I was like, huh. And then I thought about it and I was like, I'd much rather own something. But yeah, I guess, I mean, whatever works for you, right? You know, I've considered the idea of what if you build like a supercomputer at your home, but then you stream directly from that, like use... So that's what I did. So, sorry, I know that you guys can't see this, but I basically built this insane rig, right? On the hopes that I'd be able to stream from my laptop. Um... But it just never works out. The networks, like if you're in a coffee shop, I'm the kind of guy who's like, you know what? I'm not getting any work done at home. I'm not getting any work done in the office. I'm going to go take my laptop to a coffee shop, sip a few, I don't know, sip a few lattes, flat whites, maybe get a cookie, go dangerous with it, and just get some work done, you know? And the thing is that like, I just haven't like, you're like, okay, my work's happening on here. Let's take it to a coffee shop. The connection is so bad. You sit down and you're like ready to work and you start seeing this pixelated windows icon and you're like, what, what am I doing? So again, amazing in theory, but I just don't think we have the infrastructure yet. But all of it's just being throttled by our poor bandwidth infrastructure and our incapacity, like, you know, having bad transfer speeds, right? Is that the primary issue, you reckon? Yeah, and we took this... Yeah, yeah, we took this networking class at university. Um, and we, we basically... Um, the short story is, the more people you have in an area, the harder it is to keep signal integrity. And the harder it is to actually have a good signal, you know? So here we are, you know, trying to make things work. Um, but if you've... Like, have you ever been to a, um, a music... Uh, what do you call these? I swear I go to them. Concerts. I swear. <laughs> Have you ever been to a concert and just not gotten any signal? Yeah, so you completely use your connectivity just because of the huge number of people there. Yeah, exactly. Or have you ever been to a mall that's really packed and you're not even getting like an ounce of data to price match? <laughs> yeah, definitely have. Yeah, so like you've got these fundamental limitations. So with networks and... I'm honestly like, I kind of want to look into it, you know? What's the solution? Do you, I don't know. Maybe you need to go have Wi-Fi everywhere. I think that's what 5G was trying to promise. Have 5G hotspots everywhere. You have great. Yeah, that was their promise, wasn't it? So were they promising like in the hundreds of megabits per second download speeds worldwide? Is that what we're getting at with 5G? So there are two types of um, 5G, right? Uh, let me just quickly make sure I get the names right. 5G millimeter wave versus uh, sub-6 gigahertz, I think. Yeah, so you've got sub-6 and you've got um, MM wave, apparently. So, like, there are two types. Uh, and one of them is you kind of need to be in um, direct line of sight, from what I understand, of the tower, and you will get speeds like you've never seen before so let me just have a quick look so 5g speeds um uh mm wave let's have a look um i can't yeah so on millimeters wave you can apparently get up to 4.2 gigabits not bytes gigabits per second wow um but I think the other one... So roughly is, 500 megs. Yeah, so the, the idea is like... The general idea of this is... You get you either get very good range and low speeds... Or you get... Very low range and high speeds. Um, high range. Yeah, exactly. So it's like... Pick your poison, right? And like if you're in Australia... You're probably not going to be getting very high speeds. Because it's just not 
densely populated enough unless you're in like the cbds yeah but if you're somewhere like new york america you uh china you've got very high population density maybe maybe that's why alibaba cloud just circling back to our main point maybe that's why their cloud computing is best suited for china yeah well i hope that with 5g i'll be able to seriously consider what your initial proposal with your computer at home was that you know, being able to unif- basically have your laptop be just a portable screen that you stream from your home desktop. I love that as a concept, being able to unify it all and not having to worry about, you know, files lacking on one system or the other. It'd be amazing. That's why I bought my iPad Pro, right? Because I got the cellular version and I was like, this is it. I can carry this around. I have this little keyboard on there with a mouse as well. And I can just remotely control my computer from anywhere. But 4G was my biggest bottleneck. And now I kind of regret not waiting for a 5G iPad, you know? Maybe that was the way to go. I don't know. Yeah. And we have infamously bad connectivity in Australia specifically, don't we? Without... It wasn't too bad, though. I was around Canberra Centre and I was getting pretty decent 5G connection. I mean, it wasn't amazing, but um, it was better than I'd expect. I think we're really, Canberra especially, like if you look at the 5G coverage map from providers like Telstra or Vodafone, uh, more likely Telstra, the range is insane. It's almost everywhere in Canberra now. Here's a fun little fact. Australia's internet is notoriously slow. (laughs) Uh, As a wealthy, advanced country, it ranks 68th in the world, fourth in the OECD, fourth slowest in the OECD. Oof, wow. Yeah, so we actually have trash connectivity here. And I think they had like something in government to improve that, but anyway, that's a whole other anyway. topic, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> another can of worms, but again, oh. just lamenting the fact that we cannot get our streaming services up to scratch. Anyway. Hey, but that's maybe where this comes ahead. So basically, that basically means everything I've said so far about the limitations of streaming, take with a bucket of salt because that may not and just apply it to australia yeah just apply if you're in australia you know sorry we're in the same boat you're you're not getting a good experience um but let's just say we can generalize this to the whole world maybe that's not completely fair you know anyway back to alibaba cloud data collection did you know that alibaba has 19 regional data centers spanning each continent Um, That's a little low, though. I thought it would be more, but wow. Okay, 19. But it depends on the size of the data center, right? Yeah, I assume they're fairly sizable, but yeah, hard to find out the specifics. Well, you'd hope so, right? Everyone uses Alibaba. Well, maybe not everyone, but like... Yeah, tons of people. So, yeah, big data collection. Want to run us through that? Yeah, sure. So, I believe this happened in 2020, but there has been recently legislation set... Like China's parliament is set to approve a new law enshrining individuals' right to privacy and protection of personal data. And so for the past while, I, th- I believe there was nothing that was written in such a way that you could actually sue a company for you know, appro- misappropriating your data or doing so without having your personal information protected and respecting your privacy. So there weren't written rules in place that would enable that to be a streamlined process but this year yeah parliament is set to approve such laws and you know in the business of alibaba we can assume that a lot of this big data collection is you know their secret source and what it allows them to really get these optimizations they have this huge they have these huge swathes of data which enable them to project where the market is going where consumer preferences are going i don't see how this legislation would really affect that but something worth considering that you know something that wasn't perhaps really there like an enshrined in in law data privacy protection scheme maybe it'll have some effect but I don't see the logistics arm of Alibaba really going anywhere with respect to their extreme domination and understanding of, you know, the directions that consumers are heading in. Yeah, I mean, 
But yeah, big data collection in China has been a prevalent theme for a while. But to be fair, I feel like... Did you watch that? I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast. Um, Did you have a look at that um, antitrust um, lawsuit against Amazon and Apple? Like, Amazon's um, specific thing was, um, allegedly, um, they use their data to destroy their um, competitors on the platform. There were stories of this um, bookseller who was selling books on Amazon's platform, and they were doing very, very well. Allegedly, Amazon saw how well they were doing, and they are like, wow, we can have a slice of that pie. So... Within a few months, that bookseller told that were told that there was some um, issue with their Amazon account, and the Amazon account got just like d- deleted, I think, or dis- deactivated. And Amazon started offering those kind of book sales, and you're like, "Wow, that's crazy." That was one of the cases against Amazon in that antitrust lawsuit. Now I don't know how accurate that is, or um, whether it actually came out to be true. But behavior like that, Amazon also has all of the data of what all of... The hilarious thing is that these platforms, they have... You you mentioned, like, peer-to-peer dependencies. You have consumer-to-consumer, you have business-to-consumer, you have um, uh, business-to-business. They know exactly what sells, what the trends are, how it sells, and you'd have to be a fool of a company not to analyze that and put your own products out. Let's call them, I don't know, Amazon Basics products? What should we call them? I don't know. But there are many... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good, yeah. I mean, big data collection is definitely prevalent, but I think it really spans beyond just Alibaba. And I think it's an actual... Now, that's an actual competitive problem, all um, discussions aside. Because if you have that omniscient um, eye that sees the entire market for every category, you kind of know where to sting, you know, where to hit. And then they can just swoop in whenever they like and dictate how their marketplace operates and yeah again that's a i guess one of the examples of things that we should be very scared of with these e-commerce giants and i guess their looming monopolies if they're not already established monopolies yeah did you hear about that story with the diapers (laughs) no how's that go yeah it's very interesting so this was another uh anecdote brought up in that um supreme i think it was the supreme court maybe not but um, Amazon, the antitrust lawsuit, allegedly Amazon um, found some competi- found some competition with diapers. So there was this company that was selling um, diapers. Let me source this uh, competition. Um, diapers. Oh, Amazon acquired Kidsy Inc. for five hundred and forty-five million in twenty ten. No, it's like diapers.com, I think. Let me have a look. Uh, yeah, so. Oh, Kitsy is the parent company of diapers.com. There you go. There you go. So um, this is a report by Bloomberg. And they say that... Um, alleged, so Amazon acquired this um, Kitsy company, right? But the first thing they did was um, undercut them to some extreme degree to the point where Amazon was making a loss on diapers for like a, a year or two. So purposely going and making a loss and absorbing the cost from the rest of their business, putting this main diaper seller out of business, getting them so weak to the point where they can't even survive, and then swooping in and buying them out so there's no more competition. Yeah, that's predatory pricing. So that's a practice that Amazon has supposedly been using for a while in order to become a monopoly. And they got caught. Yeah, they got caught. They said uh, in an email that... um, Someone from Amazon said, we need to match pricing on these guys, no matter what the cost. Now, a company who says that about an external competitor, imagine how much, data, how much data they'd have on their internal competitors within their platform, including Alibaba. Yeah, it's so unfair, right? It's insane. Wow. It is actually insane. So there goes the American dream. There goes that dream of having a small business, working hard making a living, turning it into an enterprise. Yeah, all the small businesses getting absorbed by the giants. So technically, apparently, predatory pricing is illegal under US antitrust laws, but their antitrust laws are like jelly these days. They do not enforce them whatsoever, and they become increasingly gutted over the decades, it seems. Yeah, so, and like Alibaba, I don't even know how it works in China. I mean, I don't want to um, jump the gun here, but 
I believe it's pretty common to see in China that um, intellectual property is viewed as more like ideas and less as property um, with some Chinese manufacturers. So yeah, like patent protection is not upheld. It's, I know. If, I know in India they feel free to manufacture drugs as they see fit without respect for patents and stuff from. I think specifically yeah. the U.S. So I mean, there's a lot of cases of that. Yeah, I mean, it's not even. Oh, it's crazy, crazy times. I have to say, like data collection, it gives them the advantage. But I guess, I guess that's what you get if you want. Just to, I guess, just to wrap this up, right? If you want your thing yesterday, or as close to yesterday as we want it, as in in the next three hours. If we want to have all of this cool tech, like drone delivery bringing stuff to our houses if we want to have super super cheap powerful computers at our fingertips without having to buy a very expensive computer if we want all of these luxuries that come with living in the 21st century or at least in the middle of it then we also have to pay a price and that is this we have to accept these monopolies we've got to accept this ludicrous data collection we have to accept all of these i guess hits to what to the competitive behavior that kind of got us here apparently that's what we have to take if we want the smart supply chains the cloud computing and the data collection do you have anything else to add to that not really i guess yeah that is the price that must be paid and or is it i don't know yeah maybe well yeah, I think it is because it's again, it's just a positive feedback loop. The more that you, you can cut these corners and become a logistical magician, the more difficult it will be to overtake you, and hence the less you'll be able to compete. And then your competitors, like you, will become larger once again. It is a positive feedback reinforcement happening with their power, and I, I think the the threat of business malpractice or predatory pricing will always be present as long as these are privately run enterprises and you won't be getting this level of innovation if it's government run i mean i'm sorry but have you uh, i'm not saying this for every government but if you walk into the majority of government departments do you see this stuff happening they'll have some innovation initiative but then like i don't want to generalize i don't want to single anyone out but you don't see this level of innovation in government i'm sorry it's just not there. Yeah. Because they don't have an... I mean, okay, generally I would concede that, but there are good things that come of governments. Like, Syro in Australia made Wi-Fi, right? Like- true, 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 true. Don't get me wrong. But, like, where is the incentive? Do you know what I mean? Is it just the pursuit of knowledge and science? I think that we have to consider the the fact that there is a ceiling to te- technolo- technological innovation in certain sectors Obviously, we don't have crystal balls and we can't definitively know the end, but there will come a point where all of this supply chain management will come to a point where it is already completely automated and hence further development won't really yield that cutting edge of competitiveness. And so I think we should just monitor whether we are, you know, at all at any point getting to that, you know, asymptote of efficiency and i think it's reasonable to consider at that time maybe not have this as a privately run enterprise anymore such that well you know the the double-edged sword of that is that you know if it does get to that asymptote then there is no point trying to launch a competitive business and so it is solely in protection of consumers from competitive pricing or like price gouging in fact that you'd be protecting at that point. So yeah, it's a very multifaceted issue. Or or there's another way to do it. There's another way to do it. I mean, um, it used to be very, very hard to set up servers. Now you've got AWS doing it for you with one button. used to be very hard to set up um, networking devices. Now you've got people doing it for you. Who's to say that there won't be a business model out of providing these services? Scheduling, uh, delivery, all of these algorithms can be commercialized for all of the businesses that can't catch up with Amazon. Who knows? You know, 
So there's definitely so much to learn here. I think I feel like we could honestly talk about this topic for hours and hours on end and reach whole new revelations. And maybe maybe we will do that. Maybe we'll revisit this in a month, two months. Who knows, right? Inevitably, when they release more details on these computers, it'll be too interesting to pass up. So yeah, count me in. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, I'm just amazed, you know? And I think this Alibaba topic initially started off as one that I thought would be pretty, pretty good, but it really exceeded my expectations. So great curation here. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. We could go on for hours, but we'll just cut it at one, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So thank you very much to our listeners. We hope that you have learned a great deal today in us delving into the battleground of e-commerce giants the world over. And Shabazz, do you have any closing remarks you'd like to make? Um, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, this was an absolute delight um, to produce, and I hope it was just as nice to listen to. So yeah, thank you for listening, and um, I really can't wait to see you till the next one. Awesome. Cheers, Shabazz. To our viewers, thanks very much. And thank you for listening to the 13th episode of Voltec Tech Talks. This is John signing off. Yeah, this is Shabazz signing off. Take care, guys.